It has been called the Father's Amen to the Son's It Is Finished, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated it here just a couple of weeks ago. We'll take a look at Resurrection Sunday once again. Join us. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago. We're going to do so again here today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. I know what you're thinking. Well, Easter, that was a few weeks ago. Well, let's move on, right? Well, did you realize that the garden tomb in Jerusalem commands thousands of visitors daily, year-round? You see, it is an empty tomb that we celebrate, and it is because of that empty tomb we're able to celebrate. For all the glorious details, here's Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. We usually teach through books of the Bible here, and we've already been through Matthew before, but we're now in the middle of, or toward the end of Romans. But for Resurrection Sunday, we're going to take a look at the resurrection today. If you'd follow along with me in your Bibles, we'll look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going... Before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I want to speak to you this morning on those who were last at the cross, but first to the tomb. Last at the cross, but first to the tomb. In our Good Friday service, we talked about glorying in the cross. We talked about what it meant, why we call it Good Friday, why we believe that the cross is something that we adore, even though it's an instrument of death. 
It's an instrument of physical pain. But when we look as believers at the cross, we find hope. We find forgiveness. We find love. We find peace. We find grace. But you can't truly understand the resurrection until you've been to the cross. Have you ever noticed when Hollywood portrays these movies, whether it's Passion of the Christ or other ones, usually when it comes to the resurrection, they kind of spiritualize it somehow. It's not by their own doing. It's not their fault. They, they just don't know how to do it. How would you show Christ rising from the dead? So usually... They'll see the body there, and then they'll play some music and maybe some light and mirrors, and then all of a sudden you see Jesus again walking around. But you don't really witness the resurrection. I mean, the death of Jesus is always very real. They make the suffering and, you know, the driving of the nails through his feet, his hands, the lashes that he's received, and you see him hanging on a cross, bloodied and beaten. And you can almost feel the pain as you watch those portrayals of Christ's suffering. But when it comes to the resurrection, somehow you just see and hear this music and maybe some mist and, you know, they can't really pull it off. Well, on that resurrection morning, I mean, I think if the resurrection was like Hollywood portrays it to be, I don't think Thomas or any other, other disciples would have really believed him. They wouldn't have believed it. They wouldn't have believed such a story. See, the only resurrection that counts for anything is the resurrection of Christ's physical body. If that did not happen, beloved, we are still lost in our sin. Because if Christ hadn't risen from the grave, the cross would be meaningless. The cross would mean nothing to us. Because he wouldn't have fulfilled what he promised to do. He wouldn't have fulfilled what his father promised to do. He wouldn't have been God, in all honesty. Because the cross was where Christ paid for our sins. But if he wasn't able to come out of that grave, that death, that horrible death that he went through, would have been just like every other horrible death during his time. It wouldn't have mattered. He would have just been another human guy, a martyr, suffering for some dream that he had. And I think it's so important that when Christ, we understand that when Christ paid for our sin on the cross, I shared this this morning at the sunrise service, I said, you know, when, when Christ paid for our sins on the cross, he wrote the check. But when the, the father, when the, the, the power of God brought him out of the grave, that's when the check cleared. Have you ever written a check? Have you ever been a little nervous about, oh, when's it going to clear? I have. <laughs> and it's kind of refreshing when you go online and you say, oh, yeah, good. It went through. Good. <laughs> Money left, but the check cleared. That's good. Well, you know what? When Christ rose from the dead... That's when that check cleared. That's when he was victorious over sin and death. And nothing in Hollywood can depict that. 
Nothing. See, the disciples were able to know that the resurrection was real. The reason they knew, knew it was real was because they touched his body after they saw it dead on a cross. And that's what caused them to go out into every obscure corner of the earth through the Roman Empire and tell the world of the gospel. Paul himself believed in this kind of resurrection and he knew that it was basic to the Christian faith. And as Bob read this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 3, For I delivered as to you of first importance that I also, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He doesn't stop there. That he was buried and that he was raised, what, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, if Christ doesn't come out of the grave, you can take this book and, and throw it away. It means nothing. Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, In that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Paul says most of them are still alive. Though some have died, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. See, that's why Paul says that I'm an apostle born out of due time. Because I wasn't with the others. I didn't hang with Jesus when he was here. But he made a special trip back when I was on the road of Damascus going my way to murder Christians for my faith as a Pharisee thinking he was doing the right thing. And Christ intercepted him on that road. And immediately he was changed because he saw the risen Christ Later on in that chapter, as Bob read, he says, if the resurrection does not occur, then Christianity is just another story of of an empty hope. And those who believe in that empty hope are still lost in their sins. Well, why is that? It's because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, beloved, Jesus was mistaken when he announced to the world that he would rise. He was mistaken that he was the divine son of God. A delusion of grandeur, you might say. And if he is not God, his death on the cross was not true atonement for our sins. Now, when you come to the the, the resurrection of Christ and you read through the gospel records, each writer has a way of telling this story about the resurrection. And Matthew is no exception. Matthew, along with with the other Apostles tell about the soldiers they sent to guard the tomb and how they were shaken by an angel. And and this guarding of the tomb wasn't something they just did, you know, as a side job. This was their job. Their head was on the line. Their life was on the line with this. It was a very big thing to be sent to guard something for a ruler. And you better make sure that you do a good job. But he also tells about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James, who made it to the tomb, says, on the first day of the week. And how the angel appeared to them with the first announcement of Christ's victory. Says in verses 5 to 7, he says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. I know what you're doing here. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Well, guess what? He's not here. He's risen just as he what? Said. 
You don't believe me? Come to the place, he says, and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, you read through the different gospel accounts. There's different stories. There's different facts involved with each one. And a lot of the critics over the years said, oh, this disproves the Bible because the stories aren't the same. Well, no, it's just different people telling their story from their own perspective. For example, Matthew mentions two women. Mark mentions three. Luke also refers to three by name, and then he speaks of the others. John mentions only Mary. That's fine. I mean, if I said, yeah, I was at church today and I spoke to Ken, that doesn't mean you people weren't here. Right? I mean, just because someone doesn't mention you doesn't mean you weren't present. There's no discrepancies here. Another discrepancy that people point out, alleged discrepancy, is that they wonder about the time that the the woman set out. Matthew says that it was at dawn. Mark says it was very early, just after sunrise. By the way, if you missed the sunrise service this morning, you missed a glorious time. It was beautiful. It was just, it was pleasant. It wasn't that windy or anything. It was just nice. We saw the sun come up. We had a wonderful time of praise and worship. Luke says it was very early. John writes, while it was still dark. So you have these different perspectives. These aren't discrepancies because we trust the word of God. We know it to be true. It's proven itself time and time again. These are just people telling partial parts of the story. If there were two angels, there certainly was one. So it's easy to understand those things, and we're not here to do a whole apologetic on that, but I just want you to to know that that is nothing that shakes my faith. Well, what happened that morning? What are the events of resurrection morning? I mean, you can put all the details together in one story. Jesus had been crucified either on Friday Some people believe maybe even Thursday. It doesn't really matter. The fact is that he was crucified. In any case, Jesus was in the tomb until the resurrection, which certainly took place before dawn on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. At this point, Jesus was in the tomb until the resurrection. The woman came to the tomb from Jerusalem. They came with spices, the Bible says, to anoint his body because they couldn't do it when he was crucified because of the Sabbath. Probably at least five women. Some commentators believe more. Matthew here mentions Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark adds Solomon. Luke writes of the two Marys, Johanna and others. But these women started out while it was still dark. And they arrived at the tomb very early in the morning. The reason I showed you that video is because sometimes people will come to church once a, once a year, as Ken mentioned, maybe Christmas or Easter. And that video just kind of brings you up to speed. <laughs> you know, you see Christ suffering, you see him hanging on the cross, and wow, he's in the grave, and boom, he's risen. So they came to anoint his, his body, and on reaching the tomb, they were astonished. They were blown away by the fact that the stone had been moved. 
And we're not talking just a small little stone here. We're talking probably a stone that was a good eight, nine feet and round that could be rolled out of the way. But it probably took several people to do it, several strong soldiers to do this. Plus, you remember, they had the guards that were supposed to be guarding this tomb. And they probably saw this from a distance as the light dawned upon the grave. And they probably paused and said, look, the stone's been moved. They probably froze in their, in their, in their steps. They were probably maybe afraid to move any closer to the grave. And as the light continued to grow brighter as the sun rose, they were wondering what happened, who moved the stone. Did somebody come and steal the body of Christ? I mean, that's a logical explanation for them because grave robbing at the time was very common. It was something that was a very common crime in the ancient world because most people would be buried with certain things that were maybe of value to them. So grave robbers would come and they would steal those. The women are probably thinking, hey, are the, are the grave robbers still here? Is it safe to be here? Or did Pilate order the body to be removed for some reason? See, all the stories kind of give you this dialogue. And at last they decide, you know what? I think we need to go tell the disciples about what we're seeing here, guys. So Mary Magdalene was sent back to the city to find them. And not one of them imagined that Jesus had actually been risen from the dead. You know, and sometimes I think just because they were in the presence of Christ for all that time, the disciples, do you remember how many times he would tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And it just went over their head. And so when Christ was actually hanging on a cross and he was dead, what happened? They just looked and went, well, this is not the way this is supposed to work out. We're supposed to be kicking the Romans out of Jerusalem right now and taking back our land and, and, and overthrowing this bondage that we're under. And Christ is supposed to be leading the way. He's our Messiah. He's our leader. And there he is, hanging on a cross. So they're very disheartened. But it's kind of when the women arrive here at the tomb, they don't say, oh, he rose as he, as he said. No, that's not where they go. They probably wonder a lot of different things. And while the light began to grow bolder and, or, or brighter, the women began to grow bolder and they decided to look into the tomb. Kind of an eerie thing. You're in a place where someone was buried and you're kind of peeking in this tomb in the early, early sunrise. And they saw angels, the Bible says. The women were afraid, but an angel told them not to be afraid. That's the way people always respond when they see an angel. They're always fearful. They're fearful. They're fearful because they're seeing just a, a small part of the glory of God. We would be fearful too. We would have to be told, do not be afraid. <laughs> And the angel told them not to be afraid, but he said, Jesus was risen. And that you're to go and tell the disciples. So Mary had found the two chief disciples, Peter and John. And the Bible tells us that we don't know where the other ones were, basically, or in the city or whatever. But 
They found Peter and John. And the two disciples immediately start just beelining it for the tomb. Can't believe this. What's going on? And they left Mary in the dust. You know, not a very courteous thing to do, but they just left her in the dust. They're like, hey, see you later. Took off. John was younger. So he actually reaches the tomb first. And he stooped to look through the narrow opening. And the Bible says that he saw the grave clothes. He saw the grave clothes. The word he uses there in the original language is the word blepo. basically means just nothing more than seeing it. He just saw it. He probably saw it from a distance. He wasn't about to go in and do anything more than that. And you can imagine Peter huffing and puffing, finally getting there. And just like Peter, out of breath, in a hurry as usual, shoves John aside. Let me, let me check this thing out. And he rushes into the tomb. And when John saw those grave clothes, he saw them in a just a kind of a cursory manner, just out from outside the tomb. But when Peter arrives, the word that they use there is the word that we get our word theory from or theorize. It has the idea that he went in to inspect these clothes firsthand, Peter. Am I seeing this for real? He was trying to figure things out. And John, who tells this part of the story, because he was there and he lived through it, he records what Peter saw. It says in John 20, verses 6 to 7, he saw the, the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So they weren't just, you know, ragtag bunch of uh, cloths there. And at last, John enters the tomb also, and he begins to see what Peter had seen. And it has the idea, that word see there is to see with understanding. He's beginning to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together to believe in the resurrection of his Lord and Savior. I mean, John understood that the only way to explain the unusual arrangement of these grave clothes was that somehow Jesus' body just had passed right through them. It's not like somebody went in there and tore the grave clothes off him or that Jesus tore them off him. His glorified body just kind of went right through it. And he also did that later on in the Gospels, too. If you're wondering, he would appear. He would walk through a door that's closed. It gives us something to look forward to. Because we'll one day have a glorified body. I'm kind of looking forward to that. But after this, the appearances of our Lord began. And, and Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, who arrived back at the tomb after Peter and John had returned to the city. He appeared to the women next, then to Peter alone, then to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Finally, later that night, all the disciples who were gathered together in the upper room. That's what the gospel accounts tell us. And the way all this fits together, it's, it's, it's kind of compelling when you put it all together. Matthew Arnold once said this. He said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested fact in all of history. Lawyers in, a particular, in particular have found this to be true. One was a very famous English lawyer, Sir Edward Clark. He wrote this, as a lawyer, 
I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. As a lawyer, I accept it as the testimony of men to the facts that they were able to substantiate. See, whether you believe it or not, whether you attest to the resurrection of Jesus Christ or not, doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> it's facts. It's fact. It happened. And if you doubt, there's a room full of people here right now who will tell you, no, it happened. And the reason I know it happened is because it changed me. And it can change you the same way it has changed many people all over the world. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. 9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.